welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Today is Wednesday, November 11th, 2020, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Today we have with us Boyd Christenberry, who is uh, the son, one of eight children, uh, to Bill and Kim Christenberry. Uh, Boyd's parents served with distinction on Lifeline's uh, different boards, Kim on our national board and Bill on our Alabama board. And Boyd has had the extinction, distinction as a child and one of eight, watching his family adopt five different times. And so just so grateful to hear a perspective of a biological child uh, that was able to not just watch his parents adopt, but was able to participate with his parents in those adoption decisions. And so uh, grateful to hear how adoption has shaped this family uh, in so many different ways, not just because of the physical act of adoption, but also because three of his siblings are profoundly deaf. And that has certainly shaped not just the, the construct of their family, but the mission of their family. But before we hear from Boyd, I want to remind you that there are many books about being pro-life and combating abortion. But the book Image Bears, which our team put together, seeks to bring awareness that the pro-life ethic is so much bigger than just being pro-birth. It includes prayer guides, tips to care for the fatherless, discussion and thought-provoking questions. If you would like to purchase a copy, you can go to lifelinechild.org backslash image bears. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash image bears. You can look in the show notes for more details, or you can always go to Amazon.com and look for Image Bears, the book. We're so grateful, like we said, to join with Boyd Christenberry. And uh, Boyd, as we start, I would just love to hear from your perspective, how has adoption shaped your family? Yeah, and thanks again, Herbie. I, I appreciate you um, giving me a few minutes to share my experience uh, with adoption over the last, you know, 15 plus years um, that we've been in partnership with Lifeline. Um, hopefully, some of what I say today will stick with some people that are either in the process or considering the process and, and help them along the way. Um, but as far as your question goes, how has adoption has shaped my family? Um, you know, I wouldn't even say that it shaped my family um, for. Some context, like you said, um, my family's gone through three different adoption trips. The first one, we brought home my two sisters from Ukraine. The second one, my youngest brother from China. And the third and final adoption, uh, my youngest sister and my second youngest brother from China. Um, So five of the 10 people in my nuclear family um, are a part of our family because of adoption. So I wouldn't say that it shaped my family. I say that it created my family, that it gave me my family. Um, I've said before to people that adoption to me is not about addition. It's about completion. Um, So I wouldn't have a family to shape if it were not for adoption. Absolutely. And I love the way that you say that, that, that your family has been truly shaped um, and, and not just shaped, but you, that is your family. And half of your family, like you said, came into your home through adoption. 
Um, so even just thinking about that, though, you know, that has definitely changed and impacted the way you see the world and the way you view the vulnerable. How has how have you seen just the way you look at the world, the way you look at vulnerable people? How have you seen that changed having such a large family with so many of your families coming into family members coming in through adoption? Well, so I think, and and I was, I think, 13, maybe 14 when we did our, our first adoption. So um, obviously, I mean, I was still relatively new to the world at that point. But I think it's easy a lot of the time just to, when you hear statistics, like about how there's 100 plus million orphans out in the world, it's easy to just view that as a statistic. Um, it's just a number. It's just kids out there. But, you know, with my family going through everything that we've done and, and you know, bringing in my siblings from the corners of the globe, um, it's impossible to just hear statistics like that and have them, you know, be in my mind as that, just a statistic, because it's no longer 140 million just faces to me. It's 140 million lives. Um, and that's one of the things that I always tell people about adoption when they have questions is, you know, there's no formula. There's no uh, equation. It's not a magic bullet that can help, you know, just make adoption an easy process or make it go smoothly because you're not dealing with numbers or with machines or robots. You're dealing with human lives. Um, so whenever I just, you know, learn about some statistics or hear about an operation that's going on in a, a different country or even uh, even domestically, it's impossible now to think about um, these statistics, these numbers that people throw out as just numbers. Because when you meet the faces behind those numbers and you live alongside the lives that are in those numbers, um, there's there's no going back. Oh, wow. So you did say you were you were a teenager, a new teenager, when you first learned that your parents were looking to adopt your sisters from Ukraine. And, you know, I'll, I'll spoil the story a little bit. You're, you're extremely close to your sisters, as you are your whole family. Um, but your sisters have, have each even lived with you while they were uh, attending university. Uh, you're very close to your sisters. But explain your emotions and your feelings when you first learned that your parents were thinking about adopting from Ukraine. Yeah, so um, like we said, I think I was right around 13 or 14. I was in middle school. And I remember um, my parents sat us all down in the living room one day, and, and we had kind of talked about it, just, you know, a, a kind of a flyover view of it, because we had been involved with some families in our church uh, that we knew that had adopted previously and had kind of spent time with them and, and done some volunteer work, different things like that. So I knew that my parents had looked into it, had considered it, had talked about it, but then one night they sat us down in the living room and said hey we're looking at adopting a sister and we all were it was just kind of a novel thing at that point I mean my poor mom she grew up in a house with me and my two brothers and my dad so essentially four boys um, so we were excited to have kind of this new element come in and you know as a, a side note I was especially excited just to, you know, put you in the mind of 13 year old, you know, girls were such an enigma at that point in time. I thought that if I had a sister, you know, it, it would help me unlock the secrets of, of girls and, and help me there. And, you know, I quickly realized 
how ignorant that was once I actually met my sisters. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we were all just excited and I don't think, I mean, even my parents, I think we were all blissfully ignorant to what was about to happen. Um, because for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm not married. I, I don't have kids. So at this point in time, that, uh, that initial journey, that was kind of the, the turning point in my life. That was the end of chapter one. That was my, my BC and AD, um, if you will. That's, um, that's just kind of when, you know, life really started for me is when, you know, the family all started to come together. Um, so we were all just, like I said, blissfully ignorant about everything that was about to happen to us. And, you know, Boyd, I, I know your family well, and, and certainly, you know, you are a very open uh, family, kind of everybody knows what's going on. Um, but how did your parents include you in that process and that journey? Um, what were some ways that uh, you would just say, hey, you know what, I'm so glad, I'm so blessed that my, my families did, you know, involve me in this way? And what are maybe some ways you wish they had involved you more? So um, I was very blessed in that when we did our first adoption in Ukraine, uh, myself and my two biological brothers, uh, we were able to go on the trip with my parents. Um, and that was a blind adoption, which means that we didn't know when we went over there who we were adopting. We knew kind of what we were looking for, that being a girl between the ages of, I think, six to eight. And, um, you know, we relayed that information to the government agency over there, but we didn't really know what was going to happen when we went over there. Um, as far as the involvement goes, you know, there were a few different meetings that we sat in on beforehand um, and then obviously got to go on that trip, which was life changing. Um, I mean, I cannot if, if you're able to bring your kids, especially if they're in that impressionable age when you're between the ages of, you know, maybe six and 16, something like that. I mean, it's just absolutely eye-opening um, getting out of the, the bubble that we're in here in America um, and being over there and seeing what so many other people in the world live life like um, was just, I mean, it, it, like I said before, it's kind of where my life turns, just being able to see how good we have it here and, and how other people have it. So, you know, I'm eternally grateful that my parents involved us enough to bring us there with them and get to see that. As far as um, the kind of decision-making process, we kind of knew that, you know, my parents would ask us along the way, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? And we would you know, give them our answers and they would kind of smile and nod and, and take it into account. But we knew that they were going to kind of do what they felt called to do anyway. Um, so they, uh, I think they, they took our opinions into account, um, but also made sure that we were, um, you know, they, they did what they were going to do the entire time. But they made sure that they were, that we were aware of what was happening and, and why it was happening the entire time. And so I know your sisters get home and, you know, like we said, you're, you're extremely close. Talk about just even the first couple of weeks, couple of months, the first years, just adjusting as a new family, you know, because your sisters didn't come into the family as infants. They came into the family 
um, as as older elementary age uh, uh, family members. Talk a little bit about uh, about their acclimation to family and your acclimation to them. Yeah, so like you said, they were eight and ten when we originally uh, brought them home, and. I remember even the first day that we met them, the first probably two days we met them, it was more of that kind of blissful ignorance. I mean, it's almost not to, you know, downplay my sisters and who they are, but it's almost like, you know, when you bring a puppy home, like they're cute, they're new, um, they have all these little idiosyncrasies that you're getting to know, and they're just, you know, they're fun to just kind of, like I said, they're just they're cute and and fun to kind of observe. And then you start to get to know them and then your eyes get kind of open because, you know, I've used the analogy before when I, when I tell people um, when you're adopting, especially if it is an older adoption, like we did, it's, it's kind of to me, like if you take a body that's been malnourished for so long and you take it to, you take someone to a buffet, I mean, they're going to get sick. They're going to reject all that food all that excess nourishment, everything, they're not going to handle it well. But over time, if you get them those basic vitamins, basic nutrients, they'll eventually grow an appetite for that. And to me, I, I use that visual because you have these individuals who have been so malnourished physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually for so long. Um, you know, they've grown up without an understanding of what family is without an understanding of what love is. Every person that they've ever been meant to trust has abandoned them. Um, they haven't been given a proper education. They've been underfed. They've been um, under clothed, under bathed, everything. Um, they've been malnourished in every, every aspect of their life. So then you bring them home and all of a sudden they have all the nourishment that they could imagine. They've got not just a full pantry, but they've got a bed, they've got a roof over their head, they've got plenty of clothes. And then on top of that, you know, they've got, you know, parents and, and siblings and family friends and extended family, you know, pouring them, pouring out all this love and affection on them for the first time in their life. So the reality is, you know, you kind of think, or at least I thought at that young age, you know, we're going to love them and they're going to love us right back. And the reality is that it, it's not going to happen overnight like that. Um, it's a strenuous process. Like I, you know, used that analogy before you take these people that are so malnourished for so long and you try to thrust upon them all this love and affection and care and, and you try to build this trust and, and it takes a long time for them to just get the, the building blocks in there. So the first probably year, two years, there's a lot of rejection there's a lot of, uh, you know, negative feedback. Um, there's a lot of struggle, a lot of friction, a lot of headbutting, um, because, you know, you want to, you want to give them everything that they've been missing, but, um, it, it's difficult because they don't always automatically want to accept it. Uh, they don't know how to ex accept it. Um, and I, I've told people before as well that, um, you know, adoption, it's a, it's a beautiful process and it's so, so worth it in the end. But the first few months, years are, are definitely 
a struggle. And I think the reason it took me a long time to realize this, but the reason that it's such a struggle, not only for uh, the people going through the adoption, but the people that are doing the adopting, the members of the family that they're being brought into, um, is because you have this person who is part of your family, but when you initially meet them, they're a stranger. You don't know them. They don't know you. Um, and over time, as you get to know them, you learn to love them. Hmm. But it's a double-edged sword because as you get to know them and develop that love, when you get to know them, you get to know where they've been. You get to know what's happened to them, what they've experienced, um, what people have done to them, what people have said to them. And it absolutely breaks your heart. Hmm. Um, and you learn kind of why they have these these barriers built up, these walls built up, this armor around uh, their heart. And it's it's exhausting. It's draining physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally to watch somebody that that you learn to love have to struggle to break these walls down because there's a, I mean, you can stand behind them, but you can't do it for them. Um, so it's, it is strenuous. Um, it is ongoing. I mean, I know my siblings still have days and they've been home for, you know, five, 10, 15 years. Um, they still have days where they struggle with, you know, the things that have happened in their past and, and abandonment issues. I mean, I, I know a woman that is, uh, you know, is in her fifties or sixties and she was adopted and still has days where she struggles with it. Um, so it's a lifelong journey. Um, but after about a year, two years, you kind of start to hit baby milestones and it may be, you know, two steps forward, one step back. You know, there may be days where you just have meltdowns in the house. Um, but you just have to persevere. You have to keep going. And, uh, you know, I, I've been very blessed in that uh, in the past, I think, four years, I've seen two of my sisters and one of my brothers uh, walk down the aisle with uh, husbands and a, a wife that um, that love them, that care about them, that know where they've come from, that know their struggles, that know the ins and outs of them. Um, and it, it's just been amazing to see people that, you know, we we brought into our family, you know, my sisters, my brother, and they had no understanding of family when we first met them. And now they're building them on their own. Um, so those first two years can be extremely strenuous. Um, but you, you have to persevere and, and eventually, I mean, just the, the outcome of, of the process is something that words cannot describe. Yeah. Well, I know that for you personally, Boyd, you are the oldest of eight kids and you watch and for, for older kids, you know, sometimes you kind of feel like you get pushed uh, to the side a bit, even as, you know, younger brothers come in and then uh, even as your parents start to adopt. Uh, but one of the things that, that I feel like your parents have done well is always made uh, each and every one of your siblings feel extremely valued. Now, at least that's an outside perspective looking in. What were some of the things that you would say your parents did well to make you feel valued as your family was growing exponentially through adoption? 
Uh, yeah. Um, and that, that's, that's a great question. Cause I think that is something you really have to be conscious of and, and guard yourself against. Um, one thing I'm very grateful that my parents did, and I think I speak for all my siblings when I say this is that they never made a real separation um, within the family between biological and adopted kids. I mean, absolutely, they recognized the differences. But in the same way that myself and my biological brothers have differences, um, myself and my adopted siblings have differences. So, I mean, every kid you raise is going to be different. Um, and, you know, you have to handle things differently with each of them. But there was never any kind of division created. Um, we never went out to dinners where it was just myself and, you know, my biological siblings. We never went on special trips. We were never um, given special treatment, anything like that. It was a very level playing field. Um, I think my parents did a really good job in making sure that we all knew that even though we were all different, I mean, we all share the last name. We're all part of the same family. Um, so everybody's going to be, um, be treated as an equal. Um, but as far as what they did to, um, you know, kind of to recognize us, you know, like I said a few minutes ago, it, there is a lot of struggle, a lot of friction involved, and it's, it's draining at times. Um, so my parents never, you know, like I said, took us out on our own, but I remember specifically just a few different times when it was a long day, um, you know, somebody had had a meltdown had had a bad day where they were just really struggling. One of my parents would come in and just kind of sit on the foot of my bed before, you know, before I went to sleep and just kind of talk through it, just ask how I was doing, get my thoughts on the situation. And it really helps me too, that they said, um, you know, that they struggled as well. Cause when you're that age, you know, a lot of the time you think your parents have all the answers. Um, but it was a new novel situation to all of us. So, um, there were times that, you know, I'd be in the car, maybe on the way home from, from track practice or something with my mom or dad, and they would just kind of get my opinion on how things were going. And they would let me know that, you know, they struggled too with it, that they were, um, they would get angry, they'd get frustrated, they knew certain things weren't fair. Um, so they just were open and, and vulnerable at times as well. Um, but again, I mean, I, I can't stress enough that there was never any division created, no lines were drawn in the sand. Um, everybody was treated as an equal, even though we all had our own separate issues that we were dealing with. Um, there was never, ever any kind of adopted versus biological division created. And I think that that is um, one of the huge reasons that we're all as close um, and work as well together as we do today. Mm. Um, well, we, we talked about it a little bit, but your three youngest children, the three youngest siblings that you have, uh, your two brothers and your youngest sister, uh, all came from, came home profoundly deaf um, and talk to us about how the Lord has used uh, their deafness to shape your life. And how have you seen the goodness of God through each and every one of them? Yeah. Um, so in China, for context, if you are deaf, if you have 
um, any kind of disability like that, you are seen as just not valuable at all, not even a functioning human being. And um, I use the word disability just kind of for, for ease of use, but um, for people that aren't familiar with the deaf community, um, the deaf community is very small and therefore it's also very tight knit. Um, but they also are very proud people. They're a very proud community. They don't view being deaf as a disability at all. Mm. Um, they're very bold. Um, like I said, just very proud of who they are and their identity in being deaf. Um, so what's been amazing for me watching particularly those three of my siblings is that where they came from, they were all so undervalued and looked down upon by the entire world around them. Um, my youngest brother was never even taught any language. When we initially met him when he was six or seven, he didn't know any sign language. He can't speak because he's deaf. So he had no way to communicate with the world around them besides just pointing. Um, so seeing where they came from, especially, has been just astounding to me because they're all such prominent leaders now, um, both in the deaf community and in just in their school, in their uh, the hearing community. Um, you know, my oldest of those three siblings, he had never seen a football until he got home when he was 13 or so. And then a few years later, He's getting his name yelled out over the loudspeakers on Friday night at a football game because he's recovering fumbles. Uh, he moves to a new city in a totally different part of the country to go to college. And I'd never even seen him swim before. And then he sends me a picture of him on the swim team. I mean, just total blind ambition uh, that I, I love to see in them. And then, I mean, the youngest two, uh, my younger brother, he has played just about every sport there is. He was, you know, for somebody that didn't have any language until they were seven, ironically, he was picked to be the lead role in the school play that they did this past year. Um, and then my youngest sister, she was just voted by her peers and her teachers as uh, some kind of who's who award at their school for somebody that is just looked up to by all their peers, looked up to by teachers, seen as a leader, um, seen as somebody that's influential. So seeing all of them um, come from nothing, come from where they're viewed as nothing, come from where they have nothing, and uh, really just lean into the identity of who they are, who they were made as, um, and just you know seize the day every single day and go out there and, and show the world who they are and what they can do is just amazing to me to see what they've done with, um, you know, just, just loving who they are and, and making sure that the world knows that they're deserving of that love. Amen. Well, Boyd, you know, as we, as we kind of wrap up and what, what just great perspective you have given, is there any advice um, that you would, well, you would give parents who have biological children already in their homes? Because, you know, a lot of times families are considering adoption. They worry that their biological children resent them or uh, that they'll get jealous because so much more attention has to be devoted to the children who've come in uh, through the home, through adoption into the home. What, what advice would you give parents who are praying through right now uh, adoption 
who are praying through foster care, but are worried or concerned about their biological children? Um, well, a few different things. Number one, I would commend them for being self-aware enough and being conscious enough to be worried about their biological children. Um, because as much of a, a big transformation as it is for these parents, you know, they've had decades to, to prepare and, um, and get themselves ready for a change like this. Whereas, you know, a lot of the time the biological kids are, you know, like I was 13 and still trying to figure out things in their own life. And here's one other huge curveball that we're going to throw you. Um, but as far as my perspective, you know, I, I've said it already, there's going to be days, weeks, months, years where everybody is struggling because everybody is, is fighting to overcome some big barriers. Um, and there are days where I felt jealous. There are days where I felt like, um, you know, other people were getting more attention than me, different things like that. And that's natural. And I think that's okay. Um, but because I had an understanding of where my siblings came from, of where they would be if they weren't with us, there was not a single day that I ever looked at them, that I ever looked at my parents and thought, much less said, I wish that you were back where we found you. I wish that we had never brought you home. So I think it's important that people recognize, I mean, it's natural and it's okay to get angry, to get frustrated, to get nervous, to get anxious, scared, whatever. But it's, you're never going to be at a point where you say, I wish we had never done this. I wish that you were back there rotting in that hole that we found you in. Um, because it's not just a little boy or a little girl that you're bringing home. It's your family. It's your son. It's your daughter. It's somebody's brother. It's somebody's sister. So over time, when you learn to see these people, not just as somebody that you're adopting, see them as somebody that has been your son or your daughter or your brother or your sister for their entire life, and they were just waiting on you to go out and to find them and to bring them home. I mean, you'll never be able to wish that on your own family. So you are going to struggle. You're going to hurt. Your kids are going to struggle. They're going to have bad days. They're going to be angry at you some days. They're going to be jealous some days. They're going to be upset some days. But they will be better for it. They will be stronger for it. And your family will be stronger for it because anytime that a group like a family has to struggle to overcome barriers, that's going to build you up and it's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you better and it's going to make things better in the long run. Well, Boyd, we thank you for just an awesome perspective. And I know there are many families right now who are considering and praying through adoption and your words have, have truly just ministered to their heart and to their soul. We're just grateful for you and for your family. And want to remind anyone that's listening to this podcast, if you have more questions about how your biological children or maybe children that come into your home through adoption already may be impacted or affected about an additional adoption or another adoption journey, we'd love more than anything to talk through that and pray 
through that with you. I hope that this podcast will be a great resource uh, as you pray through and consider the next steps for your family, as well as maybe you're even dealing with uh, situations right now in your home. And hopefully some of these words that Boyd has shared with us will be a great encouragement to you, a great encouragement to your family as you look for ways to include everyone and to minister well to your family. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.